0: My hope is that this podcast will offer some encouragement, a few laughs, and even some hope for the future. This is After Four, and these are your stories. Well, here we are, back for one more episode before we take a short summer break, and I'm glad that you're here for it. I'm John Steele, and this is After Four, the podcast for InterVarsity alumni. Hey, before we get into today's episode, I have something I need to get off my chest. You see, a couple weeks ago, I messed up. And though I knew the day would come when I would say something that had to be recanted in future episodes, I never dreamed it would be about this. The problem is, I gave you incorrect Urbana discount codes. And before I give you the correct ones, I'm going to read the words from a few songs to help make my contrition clear. In the words of Brenda Lee, You tell me mistakes are part of being young, but that don't right the wrong that's been done. I'm sorry. So sorry. The young sage poet Justin Bieber, or Justice Beaver, depending on the circles you run in, put it this way. I'm sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I know that I let you down. Is it too late to say I'm sorry now? And finally, just in case there's a mother with the last name Jackson, whose daughter tried to use an Urbana discount code and was unable, this one from Outcast is for you. I'm sorry, Ms. Jackson. Ooh, I am for real. Never meant to make your daughter cry. I apologize a trillion times. I'm sorry, Ms. Jackson. Ooh, I am for real. Never meant to make your daughter cry. I apologize a trillion times. I hope all of you will accept my sincerest apologies. For real though, it was sloppy work on my part. And if any of you tried to register using those codes and were unable, I really do apologize for that. If you would like to use the correct codes, you can find them and the timeline that they're available in the show notes of this episode, so check that out. Okay, let's keep moving. I know it's hard to believe, but here we are, the final episode of our six-part series. How to be the post-college goat. Are you sad, thinking that might be the last time you hear that sting? Well, I recently had a conversation with a longtime listener named Barry who told me how much he loves it. So, I'll have to make sure it makes its way into the episode once or twice more in his honor and in the honor of anyone else listening who really enjoys it. I know you're out there. Also, if you were wondering whether or not this series has had any impact, I can assure you that it has. Here's proof a soundbite from what might be our youngest listener.
1: I want to do the Miley Goat.
0: Yes. That was my daughter. No, I have no idea what she said, but clearly impacted. And no, I don't force her to listen to the podcast. Her mother does that. Anyway, it's time for the epic conclusion to my conversation with Michael and to our series as a whole. If you didn't listen to part one, go back and do that first. Today, Michael and I chat about whether or not investment is biblical, what it looks like to invest ethically, and Michael has some pretty shocking opinions to share about giving to your church. To any missionaries and even to your most favorite staff worker. So prepare yourself. This one's for you, alumni. I'd like to zoom back out again and just looking at investment as a whole. Michael, is investment biblical? Is investment trusting in God with our resources? Is it trusting in others for our future? Tell me a little bit about your perspective on whether or not investment is a biblical thing to do.
1: Well, in reading, we see money talked about all throughout the Bible. So just from that perspective, is it biblical? Yes, it is in the Bible. But what does the Bible say about money? What is it that we read about money? And more specifically, what is it that Jesus says about money? Jesus talks quite a bit about money in ways that are different than what we are used to. Jesus said in talking about money, you cannot serve two masters. You'll love the one, despise the other, be devoted to one and not the other. And he ends by saying, you cannot serve both God and money. And that's the passage that many sermons have been written on. And it's this very controversial way of talking about things. But then if you think about it, it really shouldn't be that controversial. This is a little trick I use. Anytime that I see money in the Bible, I substitute money for something else. Because what is money? Money is a tool. Well, if money is a tool, let me just substitute some other tool. So think of a tool. How
0: about a hammer?
1: A hammer. Great. So we're going to substitute the word hammer for the word money. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and a hammer. That makes absolutely, well, it makes perfect sense because the idea of serving a hammer is just so ludicrous. You don't serve a hammer. A hammer isn't worthy to be served. If anything, the hammer serves you. You use the hammer to do something. It's not something that is going to command you. It's not something that you're going to devote your life towards. No, it's the other way around. The hammer works for you. The hammer serves you. God is very different from a hammer, and God is very different from money. God is absolutely worthy of being served. God is worthy of worship. So we absolutely need to treat this tool, money, very different from God. So from that perspective, knowing that money is not something to be worshipped, but something to be used, what does Jesus say about that? The passage, which I really like, comes from the gospel according to Matthew, chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. And this is where Jesus is telling a parable about a master and three servants. And to the three servants, he gives bags of gold. He gives one servant five bags of gold, the second service two bags of gold, and the third servant one bag of gold. And says, okay, take these resources. I'm entrusting you with them. I'm going on a trip. I'm going to come back. And then we're going to settle accounts. So he does that, leaves, comes back, talks to the first servant. It's like, okay, I gave you five bags of gold. What do you got? And the servant says, well, I took these five bags of gold and I worked with them. And now I've come back with 10 bags of gold. And the master says, great, fantastic. I put you in charge of a few things. Now I know I can trust you with many things. Come and join me in these riches. Second servant, same thing. Start with two bags of gold, turned it into four. Master's like, fantastic. I put you in charge of a few things. Now I can put you in charge of many things. The third servant says, well, you gave me this one bag of gold, but you're kind of a hard guy to please. So I didn't want to lose it. So I went out to the field, dug a hole, buried it, and kept it safe. So when you came back, I dug it up and here you go. Here's your bag of gold back. And what does the master say? Does the master say, "Eh, well, okay, that's fine. At least I still have that. The master is furious. He's like, what have you been doing this whole time? I gave you this bag of gold to do something with. And if you couldn't figure out something to do on your own, at least you could have taken it to the bank and at least got interest. But instead, you just buried it. You did nothing with it. And it's like, all right, I'm going to take your bag of gold. I'm going to give it to the guy that I gave five because I know that guy can do stuff with it. And you, you're fired. You're out. You're done because the master entrusted his servants with his resources, because those resources need to be put to work to provide more value. And that's what investing is. Jesus used this concept of investing not to say that this is a bad thing, but to say, no, this is a good thing. In fact, it makes sense that I'm going to use this to talk about other things. So yes, Money is biblical. Investing is biblical. And Jesus, the way that he talks about investing is something that he recommends. How we do it is a whole different thing.
0: I think what I'm hearing you say is it would be foolish for us to think that as Jesus is using money and the investment of money as an image, that it would only be talking about the things that God has given to us except money. That investing money well that we've been given by God, it could also be a literal translation. And then how we invest that is important. So then how do we invest that well? How do we invest it ethically and in a way that would be pleasing to God and isn't just betting on the dog race and then bringing our bags of money back to God and saying, I gambled it well for you. That's probably not the better way to see a return on our investment. What does it look like for us to invest well?
1: So in that same parable, we did not see that the first servant took his five bags of gold to devise some way of stealing the other two bags of gold from the other servant. And if that servant were to have done that, if the master were to come back, and say, I gave you five bags, you now have seven, but my other servant I gave two and he doesn't have any because you took it from him. Well, that doesn't benefit the master at all. These assets need to be productive in a positive way. So when it comes to investing, and the word which you used ethically is very important because it's what is it that we want our investments to do? Do we want our investments to be involved in harmful things? Or do we want our investments to be involved in beneficial things? Both are out there. And so when it comes to our own convictions about how we invest and what we invest in, we really need to start with what are our ethics? What do we value? What do I want to profit from? And what are things that I don't want to profit from? Uh, And that's something that we talk about very much in our business at Safe Stone Wealth Management. We talk about ethical investing. The first thing that we do is we try to screen out the harmful things. And what are the things that are harmful? We believe that that's something that each of us needs to have our personal convictions about. So what are things that you don't want to profit from? Maybe it's tobacco, maybe abortion, maybe you don't want to profit from firearms or oil. Any of those things that you say, you know what, this is something that I don't want to profit from. You want to screen out of your portfolio. And the second thing that we do is look at what are things that we do want to be involved? What are things that are beneficial for human flourishing? Do we want to be involved in clean energy, in medical devices that help amputees? What are the types of things we say, yes, this is something that is going to benefit our society. And I want to put my resources towards this because I want to earn a return off of that portion. And so... He's like, well, that sounds great and all, but that's just not practical. You have to just put everything in the S&P 500 and just hold your nose at the 15 to 20% of the companies that are doing things that I'm ethically opposed to. It's not true that you can't avoid these. things. You absolutely can't. My friend Mary actually did her Harvard thesis on it. She actually had to have her thesis reviewed and defended with both the economics department and the department of religion at Harvard University. And she rigorously proved that you can screen a portfolio for ethical concerns and still get the same returns in the market. She actually took that idea and turned that into what we do. So we actually help our clients do that. And this idea is actually catching on. So you absolutely can do this. It takes work, but it's worth it.
0: I would assume then, as we're talking about things that I'm looking for and somebody that's going to help me manage my wealth well, this would probably be another characteristic that I should look for.
1: You want to have someone who is going to take that seriously and say, yes, we can absolutely do that because how you earn your return matters. If you are involved in a company's 401k, you can absolutely go to the plan administrator and say, this is something I believe in. This is something that I would like to see and see what they can do When it comes to the faith-driven investing space, there are a number of companies that are either in this space or expanding in this space. We like the Steward Funds. Steward Funds are a great Christ-centered company, Eventide out of Boston. Uh, Timothy Plan is great. They've been around for quite some time. There's a number of faith-based mutual funds out there where people are actually doing this. And most of those funds are funds that you can purchase through platforms like Fidelity or like Schwab, they're definitely out there and you absolutely can have your investments working in a way that is true to your values.
0: That's such an encouragement to hear. We can have these long-term investments that are both worthwhile financially and that they are a part of supporting the things that we believe in and that we want to see flourishing in the world around us. That's exciting. Michael, we have talked about so many different things, but I wonder, is there one piece of financial advice or is there a principle that we haven't covered yet that you believe is vital for people who are starting out in this post-college financial life? Is there anything that you would share with us that we haven't talked about yet?
1: Certainly. There's one other thing that I think is of vital importance that has personal beneficial aspects, and that is tithing. tithing, offering. Talk about Biblical, talk about money in the Bible. I think tithing is very important. So you'll often hear, whether it's at church or from missionaries, perhaps even your inner staff worker who has shepherded you throughout college about giving, plan for giving in your budget. And well, I want to let you know my perspective. Okay. And that is I do not give. Oh. To church missionaries, I do not give at all. And I encourage everyone else to do the same. Do not give. Invest. Invest in your church. Invest in missionaries. Invest in your university staff worker. Why do I put it this way? Is this just semantics? No, it's how you actually approach and think about this. What is the difference between a gift and an investment? A gift is a transfer of something that you own to someone else, and then you let it go, and they can then go and do with it what they want. And that's perfectly fine. You have someone who has a birthday, you give them a birthday gift. Here you go, something that I think that you would like, go ahead and go do something with it. And then whatever it is that you do with it, it's your business. I don't think that that's what God has intended for us. He doesn't want us to give things and to not be involved it. An investment is something different. An investment is something that's like, okay, I'm going to allocate these resources to something, but I demand a return. I want a return on my investments. When you're investing in your church community, when you're investing in missionaries, when you invest in your university staff worker, you're saying, yes, I'm going to put resources towards whatever it is that our mission is here, but I want to get something out of it. And that is also very biblical that Jesus actually talks about that in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal where your treasure is, there your hearts will be also. So what is Jesus talking about there? What is this heavenly treasure? Another parable that we see is when Pharisees are trying to trick Jesus. They say, hey, Jesus, should we pay taxes? This is a no one situation. Is Either Jesus says, yes, we should pay taxes. And once they say, ah, he's a Roman sympathizer. Or he says, no, you should not pay taxes. We're like, ah, he's an insurrectionist. Either way, Jesus closes. What does Jesus say? He says, well, show me the coin. And they give him a coin. It's like, whose image is on this coin? And they say Caesar. And then Jesus gives that famous line. And says, so render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and unto God what is God's. So his way of saying is like, hey, the coin that bears Caesar's image, that belongs to him. So yeah, go ahead and give that coin to Caesar. But what bears God's image? And that's where we go back to the book of Genesis we see in Genesis chapter 1, the story of creation, that God creates us in his image. So just like that coin is Caesar's currency, God's currency is us. We are God's currency. We are God's treasure. So when Jesus says, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, what is he talking about? he's talking about us he's talking about people when i was in university in college there was a t-shirt that all the upperclassmen had with a quote from jim elliott that quote was he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he what he cannot lose and this is what i'm talking about here invest this tool invest this money invest these tithes into your church, into the missionaries, into university, and turn those assets into heavenly treasure, into people, souls who are going to spend eternity with you. So, I very much invest in my church. I invest in a number of missionaries. I love investing in missionaries. And one of the, my favorite group of missionaries that I invest in are university staff workers. And that's personal to me because I personally benefited from InterVarsity in college. And I very much value the staff workers who invested in me when I was an undergrad. People like Gregory Fung at Harvard, Malcolm Anderson in Australia. And yes, Tom Lynn, who was a senior my freshman year, who wow. is now leading university. I invest in InterVarsity because I know what InterVarsity did for me. And it's great. By investing in university staff workers, I get a regular statement on what my investment is doing in the form of letters. So I get to see what my assets Are doing on campus. So I have a university staff worker, Kimberlyn Kettles, at the University of San Diego, who I invest in. And she sends out letters about all the amazing things that are happening on campus and the lives that are being changed. And people who are having encounters with God for the first time in this very real way. And I'm excited that one day, whether it's here or in eternity, I'm going to meet those people and they will be my treasurer. So, one thing I do want to go back to when we're talking about budgeting is that when we're putting together our income and expenses, et cetera, you want to do first things first. And that's something that God talks about when it comes to tithing tithe from your first fruits before everything else. So, tithe before taxes, tithe, before rent, before utility and all this. How much should you tithe? I think that that is a personal decision. I will share what my personal decision is. I kind of like easy math. Tithe means 10th. So I put a 10th of all the income that is generated from my labor towards kingdom investment. I do that before taxes because I don't think that the tax policy of our particular government should influence what goes to God. The first fruits of the harvest go towards God's work before those fruits go towards government work, which is how I think about that. And for anyone who is not used to tithing, I say start. Start with something simple. Start with something that makes sense to you. If you're a part of a church community, but your investments in that church community because that is something that you're involved in. If you go on a mission trip, fund someone who is going on a mission trip. We build houses in Mexico with our church. Fund someone building that house, even if it's yourself. Pay for your own way to go on that mission trip. And some people say it's like, well, wait a minute, spending tithing on yourself? That's not right. You can't do this. I challenge I say, no, it absolutely is because I guarantee you, if you go on that mission trip, if you pay for yourself as part of your tithe to go on that mission trip, God is going to work powerfully in your life. I have to go on these mission trips because I have tasted the pleasure of God in doing this work. I have non-Christian friends or those who do not attend church regularly who also come on these trips because they've experienced the greatness of God in these things. So no, absolutely. Anything that involves God's work, take your pastor out to dinner. Take your for her out to coffee. I love spending money on getting together with missionaries and with pastors because that fellowship is something that is sacred. So I definitely encourage everyone to get involved in tithing. Now, if you think, well, yeah, but then I won't have money to spend on myself, Gosh, what I do. God challenged that because there was a time where God's people did not do that. And so he spoke through his prophet Malachi, which you see in the Bible, Malachi chapter three, verse 10, where God says, bring in the whole tithe, test me in this, and I will bless you. I definitely encourage when like read that passage because it's this thing, bring in the tithe to receive this blessing. And... If we think about it in that way is that, no, it's not giving it's investing. I'm getting a return, whether that is now or in eternity, and that's a long-term horizon, anything that's long-term horizon. we talk about compounded returns. You're going to have this big store of wealth in eternity. And Jesus says, do this store up for yourselves, treasure in heaven.
0: This is amazing, Michael. I mean, I, I, affirm everything that you're saying, my wife and I, and our experiences. Giving is, it is addictive. Like you said, these experiences that you get to have of investing in other people and to get to see returns on that investment, to see people get to live into their giftings that God has equipped them to do and the experiences that he's equipped them to have, it makes you want to do it more. And I'm a firm believer in, We are unable to outgive God as we desire to give more that I really believe that God makes it possible for us to continue investing, making these investments in other people. And it really is incredibly life-giving. It is fun to get to do. I encourage people, if you're not doing it, start because you will not regret it. And yeah, God's going to take care of you (laughs) and investing in other people, investing in kingdom resources is number one. That is the number one line item on your budget. And it's super fun even to have people come and ask you and to be able to, maybe it's you develop into a policy of, I want to be able to say yes when people ask. And that's so fun to be able to say yes when people ask for those kinds of things. I'm grateful to hear you talk about those things, Michael, and to see your passion and to see your heart in those things of wanting to raise up people who want to invest in God's kingdom and in his people. And I'm so excited that we got to have this conversation today. This has blessed my soul. And I'm confident that there are many people who are going to hear this and that this is going to be incredibly encouraging and practically helpful for the way that they look at money and the way that they use their money moving forward. This right here is an investment an investment of time in kingdom resources. And so I am incredibly grateful, Michael, for your time and your willingness to talk about these things and to share your experiences with us.
1: Absolutely. And thank you for the opportunity. It's been great chatting with you. And thanks for giving me the opportunity just to share what God has spoken into my life and what I believe that God wants to speak into everyone else's lives as well.
0: Michael, 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 this is fantastic stuff. Don't give invest. Don't just give away the resources that God has entrusted to you. Invest them in things that will bring about a return for years to come, even into eternity. Whether you're a brand new grad or an alum with some years under your belt, you have an opportunity to chart a course for what your financial life will look like for decades to come. How will we allocate our God-given resources? Will we bury them in the ground, spending them exclusively on ourselves or on things that will rust and fall apart? Or will we invest them in kingdom-building work that will have a lasting impact? Yes, we need food and shelter and clothing, so spend money on those things. Yes, it's okay to take a vacation and enjoy some entertainment in our lives, so spend some money on those things. Go on dates, eat out with a friend, buy a car. Owning things and having experiences aren't necessarily a problem, but what's the metric we use for allocating our resources? Are our finances simply a means for increasing our comfort, distancing ourselves from hardship, or gaining status of some sort? Or are our financial resources a tool for participating in the work that God is doing in the world around us? Maybe you don't have a lot to invest, and that's okay. Invest what you can, even if it's a little, and do it joyfully, knowing that you are investing in people and in eternity. And as you experience the joy of that investment, watch as your desire to continue doing it increases and as your view of finances has changed by a growing heart of generosity. And would you indulge me for just a minute, alumni, to offer a small invitation? I don't think I've ever made a request like this, but it seems like the right time to do it. If you aren't already, would you consider investing in your Inner Varsity chapter? Your investment makes it possible for the staff at your alma mater to have coffee with a lonely student with big faith questions, or to train small group leaders to make quality invitations to faith with their friends. To spend a weekend at fall conference or a week at chapter camp helping students grow in their love for God and his word, people, and purposes. Or maybe to even host an outreach event and meet students longing for Jesus and community on a campus with no chapter yet. Your investment, even if it feels small to you, has the ability to reap massive dividends by impacting the lives of students and faculty who still need to meet Jesus. Would you make an investment in those things? If your answer is yes, just Google Donate to InterVarsity or visit donate.intervarsity.org or click the link in the show notes, search for your chapter, and start giving today. Thanks, alumni. And thank you, Michael, for joining us. I couldn't have asked for a better guest or a better couple of conversations to wrap up our series. Thank you. Well, that's it. Our series, How to Be the Post-College Goat. That one's for you, Barry has come to a close. For our brand new alumni, welcome to the community, and I hope you found some helpful tools for a strong start in this new season. Fail well, find your church, prep for that interview, be a great employee, and invest your financial resources well. And through the inevitable ups and downs of this new season, know that we're here to help, and more importantly, you're still resting firmly in the arms of a loving and capable savior. As for me and the podcast, we're going to take a few weeks off to rest and prep for our next round of episodes. We've got some great stuff upcoming. We're going to talk about thriving in grad school. We're going to hear from some of the people who will be leading us from the stage at Urbana. We have more alumni interviews, and we also have a very special guest who will be kicking it all off. Harvard University alumnus and president of InterVarsity, Tom Lynn. That's right. You heard me correctly. Tom Lynn is going to be joining us. You don't want to miss it, so be sure to subscribe to the podcast, set those episodes to download, and turn on notifications so that you will be ready for some more amazing conversations starting in July. For now, though, this is John Steele signing off. I will see you in the after, alumni.
1: How to be the post-college goat.
0: Also for you, Barry.